You might remember um, before the summer came that we were um, focused on a man uh, in the Bible by the name of Moses, right? I'm really glad that Moses showed up again today and uh, brought all of his uh, memorabilia with him. And I want to uh, today just uh, kind of uh, bring us back into that and to kind of get us up to speed and uh, to look at where we're going. So uh, if you remember, we were looking at Moses as a mentor to us uh, in how to live for God as a servant leader. Moses is a great uh, servant leader. And even before that, we were looking at him to be a mentor on how to develop a personal relationship with God. Uh, Moses had a very personal relationship with God. And, uh, you know, God had a plan for Moses' life from the moment he was born. And so it's very instructive to kind of observe um, and kind of watch how God and Moses develop in their relationship, how, they, how, how Moses matures and how he grows uh, through this, how he goes through different seasons in his relationship with God. Uh, but Moses was special. In um, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, uh, we read these words, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Um, that was unusual in the Old Testament times. It was unique to Moses. And it's the kind of relationship that God offers us by, uh, through Christ by his Holy Spirit even today. And so um, in uh, Numbers, uh, again, we have this description um, in Numbers uh, chapter 12 and verse uh, 6. Um, Hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth or face to face. And I speak clearly, God is saying about Moses, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He's talking to Moses' brother and uh, sister and so on. But you see, Moses was unique. God says, when I speak to Moses, I don't speak through dreams and visions. I speak clearly, right? And I speak face-to-face with Moses. So uh, this kind of relationship is the kind of relationship that God offers us in Christ. And I want to suggest to you that it ends up in a lifestyle of servant leadership. And that's what we've been seeing in Moses. We've been seeing it in Jesus over the summer, a lifestyle of servant leadership. And through this whole process, Moses is increasingly humbled. In uh, Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, the man Moses was very meek or humble, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. He was humbled. Uh, As he developed his relationship with God, you know, God increased and Moses decreased. And if you just think about his life and the various stages and seasons that he lived through, it's easy to kind of see this happening over the course of his life. And so we're looking at him to be a mentor to us. When we study the life of Moses, I think we can almost see, we talked about this, if you remember, you can almost see his ego go from a place of ego edging God out, that's kind of the way we normally think about ego, to exalting God only by the end of his life. And uh, you remember he lived like 120 years. Uh, He had like three stages to his life. The first, you know, 40 years, uh, he was kind of growing and learning and and, and so forth. And then uh, the second 40 years, he was kind of wandering around in the wilderness, 
kind of lost because he kind of stepped out on his own. And uh, at 80 years old, God comes to him in the burning bush and says, I got a job for you to do. You're about ready now. And God sends him to take all the people, uh, God's people, Abraham's descendants out of Egypt. And so you see that Moses is a servant first and a leader second. And we talked about uh, what it means to be a leader. And uh, we said that um, leadership is simply influence. Okay? Everybody has some leadership. Everybody has influence. And that's what leadership basically is. It's influence. And everybody has some. It's not about titles. It's not about position. It's about influence. And influence is just moving people to change either their thinking or their behavior. Right? That's all Moses did is he moved the people to change the way they were thinking and to change their behavior and to act on what God was calling them to do. And uh, that's really what uh, a leader does. Leaders are doers, but what they do is they influence uh, other people. And so a Christian leader is simply a servant of God who influences others on God's behalf. And that's exactly what um, Moses was. I think there are um, three major ways in which we influence people. Um, First of all, there's persuasion. Um, We seek to change people's thinking and behavior uh, by persuasion. In um, Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, uh, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's kind of what Paul did. In um, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, uh, the apostle Paul, again, uh, when he comes to Thessalonica, Uh, Paul went in, uh, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul, and so forth. Um, Persuasion. Persuasion is what I'm trying to do this morning. I'm trying to persuade you to not just think of Moses as a historical figure that's got nothing to do with your life, but to bring him into your life as a mentor and to say, what can I learn from him and how can I model my relationship with God after the relationship that Moses had um, and so forth. In chapter 18 and verse 4 of Acts, it says, Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. One of the first ways that we uh, influence people is by seeking to persuade them, Right? Uh, to share with them what we know and what God has taught us. Sometimes we influence people by example. Another way to influence or to exercise leadership is by example. People watch us, right? Especially when we claim to know God in a personal way. People watch us. And uh, through example, we can be uh, very influential. The choices we make matter. The lifestyle we embrace matters. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews tells his readers, you know, watch carefully leaders' lives and consider the outcome of their life and imitate them. And so we should think of ourselves as servant leaders. People are watching us, and the decisions and choices we make ought not just to be for ourselves, but to think about the influence that we're having on other people. And then third, sometimes we leader influence other people by serving people or by loving people in their needs, Um, giving encouragement, giving time, listening, uh, offering forgiveness to people, uh, healing people, offering money to people, 
in any way that we can serve. Think of the Good Samaritan and how Jesus held him up as an example of somebody who had influence because he was willing to get involved and serve and love the next person. And so we said, you know, those three things are basically show and tell. Uh, it's to show people the life of Christ in us and then to tell them uh, how they too can enjoy the life that God has given to us. And so servant leadership, like we see developing in the life of Moses, I think starts with what you might say is a transfer of trust. I transfer trust, and you can see this in Moses' life as you think about uh, his story. Uh, I transfer trust off of myself and onto Christ. And the more I do that, the more I mature. I transfer trust. Most of us start out by trusting in ourselves. Most of us get burned along the way and we learn we can't trust anybody and so on. And so we trust ourselves. But as we grow in Christ, we begin to learn that I can take that trust, transfer it off of me and onto Christ and that he is trustworthy. You know, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll lead you uh, through your future, all the way home to the place that he's prepared for us in heaven. So another thing about Moses is that Moses is pretty foundational. Um, there's a lot of different people that we can learn a lot of things from, but Moses creates like a foundation uh, for us to be able to uh, stand on. Uh, lots of leaders are called uh, servants, but if I were to, um, if you were to ask me, you know, who is uh, the one person other than Jesus who's had the most influence on your faith, I would vote for Moses. Because think about it. If you realize it, um, it's from Moses that we get the first five books of the Bible. And in those first five books of the Bible, we get a foundation or a worldview that God revealed to Moses so that we uh, can build on that worldview. It's from Moses that we get the book of Genesis. Um, most people think that in some of those times, like I read from Numbers, that God spoke face to face and spoke clearly with Moses, that God himself revealed to Moses what had been going on from the creation all the way up till Moses was born. Don't you ask the question once in a while, how did Moses know what happened in Genesis when he wasn't there? Well, God spoke to him and he spoke clearly and Moses wrote it down so that we can have it. And most people think that at some of that time when God was speaking to Moses, he revealed what happened at the beginning. Um, he revealed uh, what happened before Moses was born. And uh, we also learn, about Mo learn from Moses then about the creation. We learn about the fall and Adam and Eve and what happened and why the world is broken and why problems are a part of our life. And uh, we can trace that theme all the way through the scriptures. We learn that there's uh, an enemy named Satan. Uh, from Moses, uh, back there in the garden at the very beginning of time. We learn about the flood and about Noah and um, how the, our earth was formed and so forth. We learn about the Tower of Babel and languages and how they came to be. And then it's about Abraham and his descendants and how they ended up in Egypt and why Israel is such a unique group of people, even till today. Uh, but we wouldn't understand all of that if it weren't for Moses. It's from Moses that we learn... Um, the basic truth about God. It's to Moses that God revealed his forever name. Remember Moses said, yeah, you're going to send me over there to Egypt and I'm going to tell them God sent me and they're going to say, who is God? And what am I going to say? What's your name? And, and God says, you tell them I am sent you. 
That's going to be my name, my forever name. It'll never change. I am. And uh, Moses gives us the Ten Commandments. It's from Moses that we learn a sense of right and wrong. It's from Moses that our conscience is fed with truth about what's right and what's wrong, about how moral God is. Uh, it's from Moses uh, and his servant leadership that takes the uh, descendants of Abraham, this massive group of slaves, and shapes them uh, into a nation. And um, so Moses is foundational. Um, Moses had a deep relationship with God, a working relationship, um, uh, a, a daily relationship that influenced and impacted uh, his decisions in an everyday fashion. Um, in Moses, we find that he's a great mentor uh, if we allow him to be. If we take him out of history and bring him into our lives and learn from him, uh, he can shape our lives. I think it's from Moses that we learn how to relate to God in a personal way. How to relate to God in a personal way. Moses' relationship with God was very personal. It's from Moses that we learn how powerful God is and that if God says he's going to do something, he can do it. He has enough power to do everything he promises. Uh, those uh, signs or miracles that God did in Egypt in order to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Uh, demonstrate, you know, at an early stage, the power of God. And so we learn to trust God because he has that kind of power. It's from Moses that we learn that God is compassionate. You remember at one point, God says, you know, the prayers of those people who have been 400 years as slaves have come up to me and I've come down here to rescue them. God is compassionate. He cares uh, about his people. He delivers on his promises. He's uh, dependable. He does deliver on his promises. And it's from Moses that we learn that God is righteous. God is moral. Uh, God defines what's right and what's wrong. And uh, it's from Moses that we learn uh, about the blood sacrifice. From Moses that we learn that God created the Passover. You see the uh, doorpost with the blood to remind us of the Passover lamb, which points all the way to Christ, that, that God is a compassionate God. And in spite of the fact that his people are sinful, God makes a way for people to be reconciled back to him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so God designs uh, this whole sacrificial system through the Old Testament to point to the cross and to Christ shedding his blood in our place, giving up his life, which is uh, the result of him taking on our sin. And so when you think about your own relationship with God and you put it alongside Moses' relationship with God, you might ask the question, you know, how is my relationship with God like Moses' relationship with God? How is my relationship with God different from Moses' relationship with God? Has God demonstrated his power in my life? Has God demonstrated his compassion in my life like Moses embraced it? Uh, how can I set Moses alongside and what can I learn from him? And how can I be drawn into the kind of relationship that, that he had? Now, you know, one way of understanding how God relates to people um, all through uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, one way of going about understanding how God relates to, to people is to notice that in the Bible, God enters into various uh, contracts or deals or arrangements with people. Um, in the Bible, they're called covenants. 
but they're basically deals that God makes with people. Um, agreements, you know, a, a contract is just an agreement between two parties. And sometimes the agreements uh, between God and people were uh, certified, if you will, by a special ceremony. And so I want to suggest to you, in preparation for uh, when we get to getting the Ten Commandments, um, I want to suggest to you there's two kinds of contracts or covenants that God enters into. And we might call them unilateral and bilateral. There are some things, some deals that God uh, simply announces. This is what I'm going to do unilaterally. Uh, sometimes God just declares what he's going to do. In um, Genesis chapter 12, this is the kind of uh, uh, contract, if you will, a covenant that God gave to Abraham. In um, Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and the Lord says to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'm going to show you. And, and then there's a series of, I will. This is what I'm going to do, God says, right? I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And you will bless, I will bless those who bless you. And, and him who dishonors you, I'm going to curse. And, and in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Just, I will. This is what I'm going to do. Abraham really has no say in it. It's a unilateral announcement by God of a deal. I'm going to use you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to move you, I'm going to uh, bless all the families of the earth through you. I have a plan, and I'm going to work it, and God just announces it to Abraham, right? It's a unilateral deal. And God's God, so he can do this, right? And, um, you know, this series of I will, he just says to Abraham, leave your old life, go get a new life. Uh, and the New Testament says that Abraham was justified before God simply because he didn't reject God's plan, but embraced it. That's it. He put faith that God was telling the truth, and he embraced rather than rejected uh, God's plan for him. And so um, in Genesis chapter 15, then God sort of ratifies this uh, deal, this covenant or this contract, if you will. In uh, chapter 15 and verse 7, um, he says, you know, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, uh, to give you this land to possess. Uh, but he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I'm to possess it? Abraham says, how am I going to know this? And he said to him, well, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all those things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he didn't cut the birds in half, uh, and so forth. And in verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Abraham goes to sleep. Now, normally, uh, when you were going to certify, you know, this kind of a deal or this kind of a contract or covenant, you would cut these animals in half, and both parties would walk through the middle, basically saying, may this happen to me if I don't live up to my end of the contract, right? These two parties. But in this instance, God tells Abraham or uh, makes Abraham just go to sleep. I'm going to do this, Abraham, no matter what you do. This is just a unilateral deal that I'm making with you for the benefit of all the families of the earth. This is my deal. I'm going to do it. And, um, and so as the sun's going down, a deep sleep falls on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, so long they were in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions." 
As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of the animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates and the land of the Kenites and all the other people who live there. And so, you know, here's a promise that God is making, and God is powerful, and he can pull off his promises. And still today, we're, um, you know, seeing uh, the rest of the world fight God in terms of the land of Israel, right? Israel's only on a very small piece of the land today that, uh, that God describes here. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a whole another rabbit trail we could go down about that. But my point here is that this is a unilateral contract. This is God saying, this is what I'm going to do. And Abraham, it really doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to do this. And nobody can stop me. You know? And um, through your descendants, you know, Jesus comes and God blesses all the different families of the earth. Another deal like this that God makes is called the Davidic covenant when God comes to King David. And uh, God makes another declaration, and uh, nobody can stop it. Nobody's going to change it. And God just says to um, this, the descendants of, uh, a descendant of David is going to rule forever. And he just kind of makes this announcement. You can read about it in 2 Samuel. Uh, another contract like this is um, uh, what's called the New Covenant in Jeremiah. Uh, in Jeremiah um, chapter 31 uh, God says, I'm going to do this thing with the Jewish people someday, and this hasn't happened yet, but look what he says. Uh, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'm going to make a new covenant. It's just a declaration that God, this is what God's going to do with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel after those days. I'm going to put my law inside of them, and I'm going to write it on their hearts. And I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. And no longer shall each one you know, teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. There is coming a day when God says, This is what I'm going to do in the, in the, in the lives of the people of Israel. I'm going to forgive all of their sin. And I'm going to write my truth on their hearts. Um, and, you know, um, the Apostle Paul in Romans uh, talks about how that's still coming. And this, again, is a unilateral agreement. When there's a unilateral agreement, it really doesn't depend on what Abraham does. It doesn't depend on what David does. David was far from perfect, right? It really doesn't depend on what the Jewish people do or don't do. This is God declaring, this is what I'm going to do. It's a unilateral covenant. Or agreement. Nobody can stop it. But back in Exodus, where we're uh, jumping back in, uh, back in Exodus, uh, we see that the covenant that God makes, the, the law of Moses, the, the covenant, the deal that God makes with Moses, is different. It's not a unilateral covenant, it's a bilateral covenant. It depends on, its, its, its terms depend on both parties. Uh, doing something. And so it's different. It's a bilateral contract. It's a conditional kind of agreement. Exodus chapter 19, um, the people are just like three months out. It says uh, three months out of Egypt. 
Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day uh, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And so they're three months now out, and uh, verse 4, um, <clears throat> uh, God is talking to Moses, and uh, God says this, you yourselves, he says, I want you to say this to the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if, if you will indeed obey my voice, and if you keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. If you keep these commandments, if you listen to me and keep my word, you're going to be a special treasure to me. You're going to be a unique people, um, and so forth. And so um, it's pretty interesting, uh, verse 7 and 8. So Moses came, he called all the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But. From our vantage point, when we look back, we say, oh, that was a little premature because they didn't do all that God said. And so um, Deuteronomy uh, ch chapter 28 uh, kind of elaborates, Moses elaborates on this a little bit more. Let me just read a couple of these verses. Uh, chapter 28 and verse 1, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the other nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed is the fruit of your womb, blessed is the fruit of the ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flocks, blessed shall you your basket be your kneading bowl. In other words, God's going to bless the socks off of these people and make them a leading nation if, if they listen to him and do what he says. But, verse 15, Deuteronomy 28, 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all the commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you uh, uh, basket in your kneading bowl. Cursed shall the fruit of your womb be, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of the ground, the increase of your herds, the young in your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed when you go out and on and on. It's, it's a bilateral deal. And uh, if we look back on the nation of Israel, would you say they've been blessed or cursed? When you think about the history of, of these people um, whom God offered this bilateral contract, you know, God deals differently with Moses than he did with Abraham. The Mosaic Covenant, the first five books of the Bible, are kind of like a, a constitution. They're kind of like an agreement between a government or a king and his subjects or the citizens. It's kind of interesting when you study it that um, there are parallels uh, in Old Testament times to this. And uh, it's as if God is presenting himself to these people as a king. And he's giving them the option. You know, it's kind of a democratic thing. And um, the Ten Commandments 
you know, are given, and then um, there are like amendments all through the five books, well, basically the last four books, not so much Genesis, but the other books are uh, specifically uh, like amendments to the Ten Commandments that uh, give uh, God's direction in specific situations. And uh, it's really interesting, if you've never read through all that, uh, to be able to do that and get a sense or a feel for what God is really, what God values and what's important to him. Um, it's kind of like uh, Brett Kavanaugh this past week, if you were watching uh, the news a little bit, the new appointee to the Supreme Court. Uh, he kept going back to say, you know, my loyalty is to the Constitution. My loyalty is to the Ten Commandments. And people kept trying to press him uh, to, to give him specific situations and ask what he would do in these specific scenarios and so forth. And he kept saying, no, my loyalty is to the Constitution. And um, when you choose to live by the Constitution, there are certain rights that come to you. If you choose not to live by the Constitution, well, there are certain consequences that the Constitution spells out that happen to you. And um, it's kind of interesting, this bilateral kind of agreement. Now, some scholars have studied, you know, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the things that are written in uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And uh, they've um, kind of analyzed uh, all that's written there. And I think this is really helpful. They've noticed that there's like three kinds of laws that God gives uh, uh, in, the, in the laws of Moses. Uh, three kinds of uh, stipulations, if you will. And so, first of all, there's what we would call the non-negotiable absolutes, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the non-negotiable absolutes. Uh, there is such a thing as right and wrong, and uh, the Ten Commandments inform our conscience, and the Ten Commandments, however, leave us the job of taking the general moral principle that God spells out and applying it to the specific situations in our life, right? We have to reason from what God says is a non-negotiable absolute to making a decision, you know, in our everyday life. Um, and so, first of all, there's these non-negotiable absolutes. And uh, when Jesus comes on the scene, you remember on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, look, uh, these Ten Commandments are not so much about the external obedience to the law, letter of the law, but they're really about a heart condition, a heart attitude uh, that uh, embraces the heart of God. And uh, he said, you know, well, the law says don't kill, but I'm going to tell you, if you hate somebody, uh, it's just as bad kind of thing. And that's where it stems from, you know, that uh, you're actually going to do the action. So first of all, and I think we all understand that, um, there's um, these non-negotiable absolutes. They're general principles of right and wrong that we have to reason to our lives to apply in specific situations. There's a second category of directives from God in the laws of Moses uh, that govern specific situations. There's a whole group of um, specific moral issues uh, that uh, God brings up to Moses. And uh, they apply to specific situations. And these are like case-by-case case law. You ever go into a lawyer's office and they have all these books, you know, the walls and walls of books. What is all that? Well, it's probably a lot of it is records of case laws. And so uh, certain, um, uh, certain procedures or decisions uh, are uh, based on what's happened in the past. 
and um, on case-by-case kinds of issues. And so um, there's a whole bunch of those kinds of things. For example, in Exodus, and I'm not going to take the time to read a bunch of these because we don't have that time this morning, but in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 18, for example, uh, when men quarrel, two guys get into a fight, and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man doesn't die but takes to his bed and knock him out, And uh, if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged for the slave is his money. He bought the slave, and he owns them, and so forth. So there's specific situations. Well, what happens if a guy fights, and he throws a fist, and the guy is he's out of work for three weeks, and da-da-da-da-da. These are all, like, case by case, and there's a ton of them. Uh, it's very interesting to read and get a sense of the justice of God. And um, they're about all kinds of issues. That's about, you know, two guys getting into a fight. There's a lot about sexual behavior. And uh, what happens when uh, somebody steps out of bounds uh, sexually? There's a lot about property rights and issues. What happens when somebody steals something from somebody else, when somebody moves the property marker, you know, and so on? And then there's a whole bunch about money issues and, and so forth. They're what we would call social justice issues. And they're specific. They're case by case. Then there's a third category uh, that Moses talks about here a third group of um, stipulations uh, that we might call um, ceremonial law. And um, as you uh, know, God said that Israel is supposed to be, his people are supposed to be different from everybody else. Uh, They were to be holy, and holy just means set apart for God's purposes. And um, these people were to be unique. Uh, They weren't to be like everybody else. And um, these are uh, a whole group of issues that aren't necessarily moral, right and wrong. They're just unique to Jewish people. Uh, They're just set up so that, you know, people can uh, act different. And so there's all kinds of dietary laws, you know. There's a law that says uh, you can eat fish if it has fins, but you can't eat it if it has uh, a shell. So no lobster, only flounder you know, that kind of thing. And there's a whole bunch of laws like this. And you say, what is that about? And uh, some of it probably had to do with health and, and uh, keep the people healthier than the people around them and so on. And, uh, but a lot of it was just to either remind the people, hey, listen, you're different than everybody else. Don't be working so hard to be like everybody else, like all the other nations. You're unique. You're set apart for God's purposes and so forth. And, uh, and some of it was to be a testimony to the people around, the other nations, uh, the superiority of God's wisdom over the wisdom of the nations. And so there's a whole group of those kinds of things. They're not necessarily moral. Uh, they're just uh, unique directives from God that were intended to remind the Jewish people that they were uh, different. You know, um, A lot of them had to do with clothing. This is the way you're going to dress, and these are the things you're going to wear, and, and so on and so forth. Well, I want to just close, uh, and again, this is just a little review, get us back into Moses and thinking uh, together along these lines. But I want to suggest to you that, you know, in the New Testament, God says to the church almost the exact same thing he said to the nation of Israel. 
Uh, Peter talks about this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, um, Peter says this. He said, uh, people stumble because they disobey the word uh, as they were destined to do. He's talking about the Jewish people. Then he talks about the church. He says, but you are a chosen race. You're unique. You're different than everybody else in the world. You're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's almost exactly what God said to Israel way back, right? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're going to stand between people and God. A priest, what does a priest do? A priest is just somebody who represents God to people and represents people to God. You, the church, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Holy, again, means set apart, different. You're not the same as everybody else. You're one of God's kids. Um, you're going to be a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies Here's kind of a charter or a purpose, right? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why are you supposed to be unique? Why are you supposed to be different, you know? Not everything we choose to do is necessarily right and wrong. I mean, we have moral principles, and they're the same, you know, from the Ten Commandments forward and so forth, and we can get further amended by just reading some of the other laws that Moses was given. Uh, but beyond that, you know, we're a unique people. There are some things we do or don't do simply because we're God's people. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just that maybe we're doing them for our witness or for our testimony to the next person. Because it's not all about me. I'm, I'm a, a chosen person. I'm, I'm representing uh, the God of the universe, the one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Live your life with one eye on what's coming in the future. The promise of Jesus to return. And the promise of Jesus to vindicate his people. And so here, you know, it seems to me that Peter is saying, hey, you can learn a lot from the people of Israel. Because you haven't replaced them. There's still, you know, promises that God hasn't fulfilled. And there's a future for Israel. But for today, you are the people of God. And you are in the role that God had originally intended Israel to be. You are to represent me to be holy and to be different. It's the contract that we entered into when God took us to himself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you've given us a record from Moses of all that we have in Genesis, that we could understand, Father, the beginnings, that we could have kind of a worldview that's based on your revelation of how this all began. And, Father, that you reveal how it's all going to end. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to be able to be mentored, that that we would take Moses not as just some historical figure, but that we would personally put our own lives next to his. And we would learn from him, and we would learn from his mistakes, and we would learn from his wise choices. And, uh, Father, that uh, we would have a desire in us to be like him, that, that our relationship with you might mature, that we might not be stuck someplace and just be the same, you know, year in and year out. 
but rather that by allowing Moses into our life, we'd be challenged, that we would recognize, Father, that uh, some of the things that uh, you were dealing with people, your people through Moses, are parallel to the things you're dealing with us in today in the church. Make us mindful, Father, to be able to uh, adjust our lives to fit your will and your purpose for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.